Good morning. Welcome to Thornhill Baptist Church online service. I'm Pastor Ryan. I'm, I am the lead pastor here at the church, and we are so glad you're able to join us this weekend. We are continuing our series from the book of Ephesians, and we have covered a lot of territory over the last number of weeks, and we currently find ourselves in chapter 4, where we will be unpacking verses 7 through 16 this morning. I'd like to read from the NASB, and this is Paul's words to the Ephesians. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, and carried away by every, every, wind, of, every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Well, this weekend, my family is celebrating my youngest daughter's birthday, Elizabeth. She is turning eight this weekend. and One of the traditions that we have uh, in our families, that whoever's birthday it is, is they get to pick whatever, bir- whatever cereal they want. And they also get to choose the supper as well. And, and w- so for Elizabeth, so her breakfast that she chose, her cereal that she chose was Captain Crunch. Each one of our kids typically choose the, the junkiest, the sugariest cereal they can think of. And, and, and so this morning we had Captain Crunch for breakfast. And for supper today we are planning on having sushi. And so after I preach this sermon, I'm going to be running home and helping prepare the meal to make some sushi rolls for, for the supper. And then for dessert, uh, Elizabeth has asked for a Rocky Road Baked Alaska. And so I have tried to make a, a Rocky Road chocolate ice cream, and we're going to try to make Baked Alaska, and we'll see how it goes. But every, but every birthday we have with, for our kids and for Natalie and myself is different. Each one of my kids want a different cereal. Natalie and I choose something different as well. But what's interesting is that for every birthday celebration we have, it is very individualized. It's very specific to them. And we do this as a way to celebrate each member of our family and to let them know they're unique and that they are loved by their family. This morning, as we talk about gifts that God gives us, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have given your life to Jesus, Jesus has given you gifts as well. God has given you an ability that is beyond your temperament, beyond your natural abilities, or your personal preferences, and given you a gift that communicates his love for you. Now in verse 8, we see Paul write that when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, generally in most contexts, when a king conquered another nation, the conquered people would offer up gifts to recognize the new conquering king as their new ruler. Certainly in Ephesus, as a, as, a, as a nation ruled by Rome, they would have understood and they would have seen the effects of Rome expressing their military might over the, and conquering the nations throughout the Mediterranean. 
They would, the conquered people would have understood what captives do in the midst of defeat. Now this specific passage is actually a reference from Psalm 68, verse 18. Well, the psalmist writes, When you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people. Now, although it, does, it actually seems as though these two scriptures are actually almost in, in direct uh, conflict with one another, they're not consistent with each other, that most commentators agree that what has happened within these two verses is the result of some linguistic nuances and some, some, uh, some acrobatics that's happened here where Paul is actually, in reading in Greek, he's actually translating a Hebraic verse, and, then, and now as we read it, we're translating a Greek verse in, into English. And it requires some linguistic juggling. And people who are much smarter than me, are, I assure you, are, are um, quick to note that this is actually assures us that, that this is actually consistent. Even though it may seem like they're in direct contradiction to one another, that Paul and, and the, psalm, the psalmist are actually in agreement with each other. And I think it's important to note this just so that we are able to understand that although these two verses seem like they might be contradicting one another, that, they can, that when we dig a little bit deeper, we can discover that there is an accurate interpretation of what's being written here and that they're actually still pointing us to the same truth. Paul, though, continues his point from chapters 1, 2, and 3 and tells the Ephesians that when Jesus overcame sin, that when he conquered death, that the captives, you and I, that we weren't expected to make payments to gain favor, but instead through grace, Jesus offers gifts instead. Now the contrast here is significant because as we consider the actions of Jesus, the scene shifts from Jesus and all that he has done to chapter 4 where Paul now begins to ask the question, now what? What do we do with this? What do we do with the information that we have just been, been reflecting on? Imagine with me for a moment that after service today, you go home or you're at your house and you receive a phone call and, and the person on the other end of the line says, is this you know, so-and-so, insert your name. So is this Ryan? And you would likely say, yeah, or can I ask who's calling? And they informed you that, that someone had entered your name into the draw for the Stars Lottery Dream Home, and you were the winner. A brand new $2.2 million house was all yours. And after the initial shock and the skepticism that any of this was actually legit, you discovered that, in fact, this is true, that the house is yours. That you, that you agree to meet them in front of the house the next day to transfer the property to collect the keys for this house. So you roll up to this, this new $2.2 million house and you're in awe. You're just admiring the beauty of this house. And the lawyer rolls up and he hands you the keys and you sign the papers on the hood of his car and you pocket the keys, stuff them in your pocket and you hop in your car and you drive back to your old house. Most of us would think, well, what is wrong with that person? What's wrong with you? Why, would, why wouldn't you go check out the house? Why wouldn't you be ready to move in? And after over time, you still, the house, the dream house, this $2.2 million house continues to remain empty. It's still owned by you, but it just sits there empty and abandoned, waiting for someone to use it for what it was intended for. Most of us wouldn't have, to answer, wouldn't have to struggle with the answering the question, what do we do with this? If we want a dream house, we would know what to do. We'd either sell it or we'd move in. It seems pretty straightforward. Yet Paul is now beginning to set the stage for us and show us that, that what we have been given by God is way better than a Star's Lottery dream house, way better than Captain Crunch cereal or sushi. 
that for all of us, after we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior and the gift of salvation, Jesus kind of sneaks up and is like, I got a surprise for you guys. It's like, and it's like a bonus gift that, we're, that we've received. And we've, already given the most, we've already been given the most incredible gift and it's different and unique for each of us. And Paul makes it really clear in verse 7 when he writes, to, he says, to each of us. He's indicating that there are no exceptions to this bonus gift. We all receive one. It's kind of like Oprah on her big car giveaway. You get one, you get one, you get one. No one is left out. Each one of us gets a gift or gifts, plural, that is way better than what Oprah could ever give us. Paul, though, in this passage, only emphasizes five specific giftings. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These five gifts are really become the gifts of leadership within the church. These five gifts, we understand that not, we, we acknowledge and understand that not everyone has them. And I think we need to give ourselves permission to acknowledge that not everyone in the church is an evangelist. Not everyone in the church is a pastor. Not everyone in the church is a teacher. But instead, by providing the list of giftings, Paul is beginning to attempt to provide some basic structure to the what do we do with this now question. Paul begins to assign some authority to certain people to help govern the church, to help ensure that it stays on the course that it's supposed to stay on so that it's not distracted by other doctrines, other teachings. I think Paul understood well enough to know that as soon as you get a handful of us together, chaos sometimes ensues. And unless someone is, is leading and providing direction, it's almost like trying to herd cats and we're just trying to keep everyone moving in the same direction. We recognize that some cats just want to cuddle. Some just want to claw at your eyes and others just want to nap in the sun. By having these five offices in place, it helps to provide some structure to the church body to know who to look to as authority, but also it helps to, have, to know who is going to hold others accountable when the, when the cats begin to go sideways, when things go, start running in different directions. These five offices, this is what it's called, the offices of, of leadership, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, each serve different functions within leadership but yet are still given one singular task in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. Did you catch it? To be equipped for the work of service. To be equipped and to be built up. The Greek word here for equip is the word katartismos. It's this idea of completely furnishing someone. Again, so let's reenact our scenario again, and you just received the phone call, you've won the $2.2 million house. This time, the next day when you meet the lawyer, and, and he, he rolls up, and you sign the papers, he hands you the keys, this time you notice that behind the lawyer is a moving truck. But the moving truck isn't filled with all of your stuff. Instead, it's new stuff to replace all the junk in your house. It's a king-size bed, 110-inch TV, stainless steel appliances everywhere all the toilet paper you can imagine, hand sanitizer in every room. I mean, this house is stacked. This house is furnished with exactly what you need to live there comfortably and to fulfill the intended purpose of the house. That's the idea of these five offices Paul is listing here in verse 11. Where the, the, these five people become, they're like the moving guys to help you to be successful with whatever the, the, the intended purpose that God has for you is. 
Where these five become less concerned about their own agendas, but instead their goal is to help others achieve the goal that God has through them. It's helping others to be successful. The function of these five offices then is a model of servanthood for the rest of the church body. Where they set the standard of selflessness and maturity and point us all towards Jesus. Now I suspect that if we moved into our dream house, that there may be a season where we would just try to get a lay of the land. We would begin just to assess what we're working with here. How many rooms are there in the house? How many bathrooms can I, that are in this house and which one can I use and have the most peace? Just how much junk can I fit into my garage? The kitchen is how large and, I can, and how big is the fridge? And for a season, we might just want to just bask in this new gift and, and just enjoy it for ourselves. But Paul tells us, that the gift that God has given us, they aren't actually for us. This bonus gift that Jesus hands us isn't solely intended for you. I mean, in one sense it is because it's unique and shows how important you are to him. But in a very real sense, this gift that you have is intended actually to be used for the benefit of others. You see, we aren't meant just to be equipped furnished for our own benefit, to pad our ego, to to celebrate what we're good at, but instead we are furnished. We are equipped for a purpose. When the church is constantly being furnished and equipped by the Word of God, we become facilitators or vessels that do the work of the ministry. That it's no longer dependent on the five offices that Paul lists here. It's no longer dependent on the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But instead, everyone contributes where instead of the dream home becoming this house of vanity and luxury and comfort, the church becomes like a hospital where people are cared for and where everyone contributes in different ways. All of us, though, regardless of race, gender, marital status, age, or any other barriers that we might think of, all of us fall on some sort of spectrum when it comes to using our gifts. For some of us, We already know these gifts and we are living them out and life is good and and we fall maybe on one end of the spectrum. So for those of you that 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 fall on that end of the spectrum and are living your gifts out, thank you. Thank you for your contribution to strengthening and and maturing the, the body of Thornhill Baptist Church as well as the larger church body. Thank you that you're contributing to the unity that the Christian church needs to be known for that our reputation for unity depends on your willingness to use your gifts for the glory of Jesus. For others, though, you might be on the other end of the spectrum where you're thinking maybe it's like colored blindness and it just skips a generation. I I just don't think I have any gifts. For those of you who are feeling like you don't have any of those gifts, can I just say as gently and lovingly as I can? But you're wrong. I believe that God has given you something special and specific just for you. And maybe this next season of your Christian life will be for you to discover what that gift is. God doesn't make mistakes and he doesn't have exceptions when it comes to who gets those gifts and who doesn't. If you are a follower of Jesus, we know that God has given you a gift, a bonus gift beyond salvation. That there is no one on the the spectrum who doesn't have a gift. And maybe there's others of you though that are maybe in the middle somewhere where, where you're thinking, you know, I know what my gift might be, but I'm not entirely sure how to put it into practice. Or, or maybe, you have a, maybe you think, you know, I'm good at some things, but I'm not really sure how it fits within the, 
within the, how the church can use it, or how God can even use it at all. Can I invite you, can I encourage you to talk to someone who's, whose responsibility it is to equip you? Someone who you feel like might fall under that category of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. I would welcome the conversation. Talk to me. Talk to the elders of the church. These are people who God has called to help you to discover your gift. I would love to have that conversation with you. I know even for myself, as I was preparing this sermon this week, I, as I was considering different giftings and looking at the list and some of the definitions, and I, I, I began to wonder, is, you know, there's, there's one that really jumped out the page and thought, maybe I might have that gift. And I hadn't really considered it before, and, and I certainly wouldn't have made that claim about myself. And, and so my, my next season of my Christian life now is going to be processing, what does this look like? How does it work? Because to be honest, I, I guess I feel a little skeptical that this particular gift actually fits me. And, and so the responsibility is now on myself to identify it and discover how to put that into practice. The five offices of leadership listed here in Ephesians are just a start when it comes to those bonus gifts. But there's actually three other key places in Scripture in the New Testament where different giftings are listed as well. There's 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4. So, uh, so I wanted to provide a list of the gifts that we see in the New Testament. I wouldn't say that this is an exhaustive list, but instead I think it just gives you an idea of the breadth of giftings that exist in the New Testament so that we might have an idea that, there is, that it's not limited to you know, a handful, that there's, there's close to two dozen or more listed in the New Testament. So here's, the, some, of the, here's some of them. Some of them are based on help. Some of them are more charismatic gifts. Um, but I think that, th- that it's important to list all of them so we have an idea of where we might fit within that. So again, there's the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. But then there's the gifts of help, and gift of wisdom, and knowledge, and faith, gift of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in different kinds of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, prophesying, serving and teaching, encouraging, giving, leading and leadership, showing mercy and music. And as I said, I don't think that's an exhaustive list, but I think it gives you a taste. As I said, though, we all fall on a spectrum of giftings. And we all need to be furnished or equipped to use those gifts. As we consider this this bonus gift that God has given us, this gift that is intended to build unity, that's intended to bless others and grow us and others in maturity, I want to offer three final thoughts on how we can practice our gifts this week. One is stop comparing. Two, continue caring. And three, begin sharing. Stop comparing, continue caring, begin sharing. Paul tells us in verse 13 that God gives us gifts to serve others, to build unity and to become mature, to serve, to be unified, to be mature. Ultimately, though, these gifts are given to us by God for a reason and a purpose. Now, if Natalie and I try to give gifts to our kids for their birthday, to celebrate their uniqueness and show our love to them, we try to celebrate their personhood, how much more does God do that with us? The love that I can show my kids is is only a glimpse. It's only a shadow of the kind of love that God has for you and I. It's only a shadow of the love love that God has for my kids. But if I'm honest with you, 
this weekend as we celebrate Elizabeth's birthday and we do all these special things for her and we give her this, this day that celebrates her personhood. If she says to me after all of it's said and done, Dad, my friend Ashley got a way better cake. She got, she got three bowls of Captain Crunch and, and, and said I got only two. And she got this and this and this. I've got to admit I'd be disappointed. I'd be disappointed because my daughter failed to appreciate all the things that she had in front of her. I'd be disappointed that she chose to point out all the things she was lacking instead of all the things that she had. And often what happens when we compare is, is we look at the best of someone and compare it against the worst of what we have or what, what we are. Part of the reason your house, part of the reason you are equipped and furnished the way that you are is because it celebrates and recognizes your uniqueness and what makes you special. When we try to look and sound and think like the people we admire the most, it actually only leads to a mediocre version of you the way God wants you to be. Instead, we focus on our strengths instead of our limitations. We don't need to be someone else. Instead, let's just be like Jesus. I'm going to say that again. We don't need to be someone else. And said, let's just try to be like Jesus. And wherever we are on that gift continuum, from knowing and using my gifts to having absolutely no idea what it is, Paul gives us some really important attributes and, and, and um, attributes for us to practice as we use our gifts, as we begin to discover the attitude and how we should present ourselves, where we see that the spirit in which we use our gifts is just as important as using them. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes this, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. How we use our gifts is important, and it is critical that we use them in a spirit of love. The spirit in which we use our gifts is just as important as using them. Verse 15, Paul also writes, he says, speak the truth in love. I think it would, be, I think it would likely be a narrow interpretation for us to assume that Paul is just strictly talking about what comes out of our mouths. Instead, I think we can all safely conclude that our words and our actions should reflect truth as well as love. When it comes to how we practice our gifts, Paul gives us a really important list in, verses two and th- in chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 to help keep us on track, to help remind us that, that our gifts aren't intended for us, but instead they are intended for others. And this bonus gift that Jesus gives us is actually intended to be passed on to someone else, that we don't hoard it for ourselves, but we actually begin to pass it towards others. Paul writes in verse 2 and 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Where Paul is beginning to say that, communicate that these are markers for us as followers of Jesus. But especially when we put our gifts into practice and begin sharing them. That our giftings are a result of the decisions that God has made in our lives and assigned certain gifts to you and I for a reason. Paul writes in verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, 
causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. When each member of the body is using and practicing their gifts, then the whole body benefits. The human body is, is no different. When my lungs are strengthened and healthy, my heart benefits. When my stomach digests and processes food properly and correctly, my kidney benefits. As each member does what they are gifted to do, as each member begins to be furnished to do those giftings, it actually in turn benefits others. And we stop comparing. We continue caring. We begin sharing. Each person is incredibly important to the fulfillment of God's plan and the mission of the church. No one is unimportant, and everyone is gifted to accomplish that mission. The church is only as strong as the involvement of its people. And the more you and I take ownership of our giftedness, the stronger and healthier our church, the church, will become. We can't leave the mission of the church to be accomplished by 20% of the church doing 80% of the work. We can't leave the mission of the church to the paid people of the church either. Enjoy what God has created you to be. Rest in Him. But then cultivate your gifts. Begin to be furnished and have your abilities and strengthen, strengthen your strengths. And regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, your gifts are intended to be, to be used and enhanced and build up unity. Where we can celebrate our differences because God oriented the church that way. We are all unique, and God has designed the church to capitalize on that uniqueness so that, it achieve, so that it achieves its full potential. Where God has actually strategically and intentionally placed each gifted person in our church for a purpose and a reason. Ultimately, we aren't meant to be a church that looks like each other. We are meant to be a church that looks like Jesus. Let me say that again. That we are not meant to be a church that looks like each other. We are meant to be a church that looks like Jesus. And how we live that out according to our gifts will be different for each of us. And I suspect that as a church, that as we begin considering where we might fit on that spectrum and what our giftings might be, we might discover what the next steps are for us as we begin to discover how we can be used and how we can be equipped to use our gifts. That perhaps this series this message might be the start of a larger conversation for you as you begin to discover your place in the body of Christ at Thornhill Baptist Church and how the Holy Spirit can use you. Let's pray. Laura, I am thank you. I'm thankful that that for each of us that that not only do you bless us and, and give us your grace so that we can know you fully so that you continue to reveal yourself so that we can be known by you that you actually give us a bonus gift that, 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 you, that you empower us to use for your purposes. That you want us to, to, to become uh, active agents in, in, in part of this, this redemptive plan in the world. Thank you that there is no exceptions, that we all are gifted. Jesus, I pray that you would, that you would begin to, to stir in each of us a desire and a heart to, to know who, who, uh, who you want us to be, how you want us to live that out, Jesus. God, I'm so thankful for this church, for the love that, that continues to permeate in this church and pray that you continue to, to shape us to be more like you, that our church wouldn't be a group of individuals, but that we would be a body unified as we pursue after you, Jesus, that, it, that we wouldn't be a group of people trying to be like each other, but that we would just try to be like you, Jesus. Help us to do that. Give us the courage to do that, Jesus, and, and the will to do that as well. In your name we pray, amen.